0: The world's changing and the pace of change is different than it was when we were growing up. With that in mind, we sit down with the CEO of Chegg Today, Dan Rosen-Swag, to talk about how he and his company bet on the inevitable and the universal skills that you need to develop in order to thrive in a tech-driven world. If you are listening and you want to take control of your career and develop these universal skills to break into tech this year, make sure you download the Career Karma app by going to slash download. If this is the first time that you're listening to the podcast, or you have been a listener of the podcast and you have not left a review for us, positive or negative, please make sure that you do that. If you have not liked our page on Facebook or joined our community on Facebook, please make sure you do that as well. Or if you are uh, a visual uh, person and you prefer visual over over audio, or just like both, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com/slash Breaking Stars or YouTube.com/slash Career Karma. Uh, we want to make sure that we deliver powerful, motivational, inspiring actionable content to you on any platform on any medium um, that is available for you and without further ado let's break in growing up we're told that in order to be successful you need to be a banker a doctor or a lawyer that's what the gatekeepers want you to think but we're part of something bigger we're part of a technological revolution either you're at the table or on the table get in the end 10x Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
1: Yeah. So it's a Monday morning and we're recording out of Santa Clara. And what's interesting is we always break into startups and we ask the guests to invite us to their offices so we can check out the office, get some video clips and kind of get a vibe of what it looks like. Today, we're actually recording on top of a live chessboard. So we're surrounded by live Chess pieces, and if you want to tune in and check out the video footage, we now have eight heroes that's also recording the podcast, so you'll be able to check it out on YouTube. But I'm really excited to speak to the guest. He's uh, the CEO of one of the first large tech companies that we've interviewed, and Ruben, can you please introduce him?
0: Yeah. So I mean, some people will call Chegg a startup, but you know, many of you know that have been following them would know that Chegg is actually a large public company. And we're here with the CEO, Dan Rosenzweig, who was also the COO of Yahoo. He was the CEO of Guitar Hero and is on the board for several amazing companies. And we're really excited to be here today. Shout out to Mark for the introduction. And before going into his story, well, let's just start off by saying welcome, Dan.
2: Well, thank you very much and welcome to Chegg's Global Headquarters. But I just want to make sure for those of you looking at the video, they're large chess pieces, not live chess pieces. <laughs> so we do not employ people to move on the chessboard. That's a great point. Good, good segue. Good sideway. So for the people that don't know, what does Chegg do? What are your thoughts about you know your focus now that you're here? So Chegg was created with a very simple premise in mind, which is young people are overburdened, they're overtaxed in terms of their time, the things they need to do, the costs in their life, and nobody has put students first. Everybody has put the institution first, the publisher first, the professor first, the administration first, the hours when you program classes. So, if we could build a company that puts students first, what would we do? So, everything we do is designed to help students decide should they go on to further education? And if so, what would that further education be? What is the cost of making that decision in terms of time and money? How do we save them costs? And so, we created the textbook rental business. And then, once you're in a class, how do you master that subject? How do you pass the class? How do you learn it? How do you understand? Because there's no really such things as teacher's hours anymore. And since 70% of kids go to state schools and 40% of them are working 30 hours a week or more, how can we build products and services that represent where they are in their life? And and then how do we get them an internship and how do we get them a job? And so everything we do, our desire is to save them money, save them time, help them get smarter, and to accelerate the time and reduce the friction between learning and earning.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a great introduction to this episode. Earlier during the pre-chat, we noticed in your bio, it said the beneficiary of the American dream. For a lot of people, when they think about the American dream, education is a part of it. Um, student loans are at an all-time high. People are thinking about whether people should go to college. What are, what are your thoughts about the future of college? Is that still a part of the American dream? Should people be thinking about alternatives or what are your thoughts about that?
2: So, it's a fabulous question, and it's of course a loaded question because whatever (laughs) I say, someone's going to be upset with me. But here's what I believe, and here's what Chegg is learning from working with more students. We believe we have the largest network of direct to student learning anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. So, everything we do is based on what we learn from students, what we're actually able to observe, what they do, how they do it, the time of day that they do it, where they struggle, where they don't struggle. You can do it by textbook, by class, by professor, by gender, by region. So we have a lot of information available to us. And what we believe is this, 80% of kids go to college for the purposes of getting a better job. 50% of high school kids don't go on to further education and they're going on to jobs that automation is likely to eliminate in the next 10 years. Of those that do go on, 43% of them don't graduate. They graduate with $9,000 in debt on average. And of the ones that do graduate, they graduate with $37,000 in debt on average. So I would say in any scorecard you look at, that is not succeeding. So what we believe is that if you can use technology and what the internet does best, which is make something on demand, make it downloadable, personalizable, can adapt to who you are versus what you think you are and be really cost effective, then we ought to be able to make education less expensive, more available, more affordable, more relevant. And that like everything else we've done, so we no longer wait out in the rain for a car hoping we get it. We call Uber. It comes to us. We no longer go to a movie theater and pay a lot of money for something we don't want to see and eat popcorn we don't want to eat and sit next to somebody we don't want to know. We go to Netflix. Everything that is happening, even in terms of of medical stuff, Mm -hmm. we now have 23andMe and we have Everwell. And we have all these things and we wear clothes and watches and sneakers that are able to monitor what we do. So if everything else in the world is coming to us mm-hmm. and being more accessible, more relevant, more affordable and more mm-hmm. accurate, why are we still going to education yeah. instead of education yeah. coming to us? So mm-hmm. we believe an increasing number of Americans who don't have the time, don't have the money. We ought to be able to bring learning directly to them. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's, that's an amazing answer. And um, I know that Cheg is also focused on you know, careers and things like that. So can you talk a little bit about what you all are doing related to people after they've gotten the skills and how they navigate the workforce? Because that's a whole different skill set.
2: So it's another part of technology that's really fascinating, which is data mm-hmm. and big data. So what what data scientists look for and what you can use AI and computer learning for is finding patterns, recognizing patterns. And once you recognize them people can make better decisions as a result of them. Mm -hmm. So we've gone back and we've looked at over 100 million resumes over 10 years of of college grads. And so we can now tell a kid, if you go to Emory, where you went to, and you take this major, you're going to acquire these skills that an employer might want. Mm -hmm. Here are the eight employers that are likely to hire you. Here's how much they're likely to pay you. And here's how much the person that's gone there, how long they've actually stayed there. Mm -hmm. So by using data, we can find patterns and help people make better decisions. We believe it is our birthright and our responsibility to help a student get their first job and to make that first job a job they're likely to succeed in and be able to get it faster and with less stress. So we are working with students and employers to use all of this data to build pathways, to help a young person understand, if I do this, this is what's likely to happen. If I change it and do this, this is what's likely to happen the same token, we go to employers and we say to employers, you want to learn how big the pool is for the kinds of people that have the capability Mm -hmm. to do the things you want. You want to learn what region they're in. You want to understand the value of diversity. Mm -hmm. And so our data, because our platform is so large, help employers grow their pools and start looking at kids in schools that they historically never might've looked at because we can identify that those skills that they have. And so, what we want to be able to do is help you pick the school, pick your class, pick your major, master the subject, pass the class, get an internship, and get the right job. Mm-hmm. And then identify the gaps in your skills and then eventually help you level up on those gaps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And we're definitely going to talk about your first job and how you got up to this point. And, you know, a lot of times how people are switching careers and sometimes it seems like an accident. But before going into that, we also know you're on the board of Adobe, you've mm-hmm. invested with some of our guests like Mission U and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, what are your thoughts about programs like Adobe Digital Academy or boot camps and things like that?
2: Well, I think we're living in a world now where technology's impact is ubiquitous and it's unstoppable. So everything Chegg tries to do, and we, and we do some of it extraordinarily well, and we're trying to get better at some of the other things that we do, is that we bet on the inevitable. So, we don't know the day the inevitable is going to happen or exactly the pathway in which it's going to happen or what sequence it might happen. But let's just be clear. If you think about the jobs of the present and of the future, are they going to require people to understand technology more or less? Probably more. It doesn't mean that everybody can or should be or wants to be an engineer. Facts. Right? I have two daughters. I forced my first and my oldest daughter to go to General Assembly to learn programming. Mm -hmm. And I said, Rachel, what did you learn? She said, I learned exactly what I thought I was going to learn. I said, what's that? She goes, I hate programming. (laughs) And so that is not what she wants to do. If you look at a company like Chegg that has now a thousand employees, the overwhelming number of employees that we have are something other than an engineer. But if you want to build a business, you want to build a product, you want to learn how to market, you want to be an analyst, you want to be in finance, you better know how to use certain things. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be in sales and you don't know how to use something like Salesforce, that's a real mm-hmm. challenge for you. If you're going to be a creative type or a marketer or a photographer mm-hmm. and you don't know how to use Adobe Photoshop or subscribe to, you know, to their Creative Cloud, you're going to be limited in the number of places that you can be successful. If you're going to be a marketer and you don't understand data science and analytics mm-hmm. and how to go into the database and get the data, mm-hmm. all the brilliant ability that you have to think through won't be available to you because yeah. you won't even be able to see the data. Yeah. So, yeah, my I, view is that these things are necessary. They're valuable. I think they ought to be taught by schools. Mm-hmm. I think the mistake is it's not instead of liberal arts, it's mm-hmm. not instead of what you learn, it's addition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to what you're learning because that's how we get it together. When you think about liberal arts, you know, rhetoric, uh, rhetoric was one of the big categories, critical thinking is one of the big categories, all necessary. But what is rhetoric today? Well, if you don't know how to use Facebook or Instagram, then you don't know how to communicate. Those are the speaker's corners of today's generation. And so from my standpoint, it's just inevitable. The same way I had to learn typing or how to use a calculator when I was growing up, people today need to know how to know what the technology skills that that they have to have. It doesn't mean their job is to be an engineer. Yep. It just means you need to appreciate what an engineer does. You also need to get access to the content and the data and the analytics that you need. And you also need to be able to use modern day tools, right? We no longer do a mailing through the post office and hope to get two and a half percent you know, return on a direct mail like we did in magazine publishing when I started. Everything now is is CRM. So to avoid the necessary skills seems like A waste of time. And
1: you mentioned something in your intro, like how the number of people that drop out of high school, of college, folks who are performing jobs that may not exist in 10 years Mm -hmm. and how like today's technology. It's definitely there's definitely a learning curve, but by gaining those tech skills, you're giving yourself job security and you're making yourself less replaceable. And like Timor and I, we went to coding boot camps, and even though we had successful jobs, we still felt like we needed to obtain the 21st century literacy, which is knowing maybe not necessarily how to code, but at least understand how technology is built. And so we recommend a lot of our listeners to at least study how like popular apps that they use on day to day basis how they work, because that's going to give them insights and maybe even better ideas or business ideas they could pursue they could pursue in their life in your case so you've mentioned like kind of the importance of liberal arts but there's also kind of people are switching careers multiple times during their lifetime and a lot of the time the first job you get out of college like in our case it was finance it's probably not going to be the job you're going to have in 10 or 20 years because people master the skills they find other things they Want to learn about, so, how do you see education evolving beyond just the first job but also like your second third job, and refining really that fulfillment in your career? yeah,
2: that, so i'm fifty seven so that mm-hmm. what what is different is your generation is extraordinarily different than mm-hmm. the expectations that we had, so I stayed at my first company or my yeah. second company after yeah. I got laid off the <laughs> first company for seventeen years Wow, and the only reason that I left is because we spun out a division. Took it public and it got acquired. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed yeah. for even a longer yeah. time. And so that was so the expectation. Different. That's so
1: different to today. Absolutely
2: correct. And so, but there are universal skills mm-hmm. that you could benefit from knowing mm-hmm. communication, yep. right? Critical thinking, yep. mm-hmm. and language. But today's language is technology, yeah. it's not Latin like yeah. it was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, understanding those things. But I think if you just asked somebody, if you didn't call it tech mm-hmm. and you said, would you like to know the nine things that every employer wants a young person to have when they're going to go take a job? Yeah, And if you could get better at them, would you? I think everybody would say yes. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to use Office 360, Mm-hmm. You're not going to be very good in finance, yep. right. because if you can't master an Excel spreadsheet, yep. Yep. doesn't matter how smart you are, or how critical your thinking is. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you can't organize the information, you're of no value. Yep. Right? If you're a creative type and you can't use Adobe, yep. very little value. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, from my standpoint, I think we should take away the stigma of calling it tech because I think people confuse mm-hmm. that with coding yeah. or that you're going to go into a mm-hmm. technology job. Yeah. You're going to go into a job, and it's going to require mm-hmm. you to learn and use the processes and systems that are. Are available. Yep. And all of them are predicated on technology.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, in terms of your other question, I believe, based on my own career mm-hmm. and based on what I see from the millions and tens of millions of young people that we work with and my own two daughters and their friends, life's very serendipity. Mm-hmm. So when I go back and speak at my college, they say, Dan, did you always know you were going to run a company like Yahoo when you were chief operating officer there? And mm-hmm. I was like, in 1983, they hadn't invented the internet, yeah. a cell phone, broadband, data. Yeah. We barely had a computer. It was much bigger. Yeah. And I got a C in the class. Yeah. So the answer is the world keeps going. Yeah. The world keeps evolving. And if you want to participate mm-hmm. and grow and have the opportunity to experience many things in your life, you are going to have to keep investing in yourself. Fat.
0: Mm-hmm. no,
1: Yeah. That. And I think, I think you touched, you made a lot of great points I think when it comes to high school kids picking their majors or picking careers, a lot of it comes from parents. I'm uh, personally a mentor to kids in um, Oakland through iMentor. And what I'm seeing is that not only like are a lot of people, a lot of parents not involved in terms of guiding their kids and preparing them for the future of careers, but the ones that do, they kind of push their kids towards roles that might have been popular twenty, thirty years ago when they were going through those stages, like civil engineering, like becoming a doctor and be- becoming an a like a, a an investment banker, and all those things used to provide job stability and the financial security in the past but nowadays the narrative has changed so how do we convince the parents and how do we educate the parent so they can position their kids for a better future
2: well i have to argue a little bit with your premise i don't think there's anything wrong with pushing your kid to be something like a doctor mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. or even those other professions yeah. to be honest with you i think the point that you guys make the one that that resonates best with my audience mm-hmm. and i think with myself even as a parent is you want your child to understand mm-hmm. that the world's changing mm-hmm. and the pace of change is different than it was when we were growing up and that jobs that once seemed inevitable and secure are no longer either mm-hmm. yeah so given that's the world they're going to grow up in what we shouldn't do is limit them to a single point of view yeah. mm-hmm. but rather allow them to experiment it's like the same thing with athletes. The best athletes that I know, and, I, and I'm very fortunate to know a bunch of them that came out of Stanford and play in the NFL, every one of them, whether it's Andrew Luck or Zach Ertz mm-hmm. or Kobe Fleener or David DeCastro, mm-hmm. all these big-time NFL players, every one of them will tell you they played multiple sports growing up, not just one, mm-hmm. and football wasn't even necessarily their favorite sport, mm-hmm. right? So Zach was basketball, Andrew was soccer. DeCastro almost went to the Olympics for swimming, even though he's 330 pounds, so I asked him if he was going as a buoy. But, um, yeah. but you know, what What you learn is you've got to keep evolving and learning, and mm-hmm. you've got to be able to recognize that whatever you pick now may not be what you're going to be doing later because it may not even be around. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that's just a fact of life right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Can I just, uh, so I, I definitely realized that, like, tech is not only the answer, obviously, and the, there's other professions that can provide that job security. I think what we're seeing with a lot of our community members is a lot of them get on the path, let's say, to become a doctor and go through med school. And they start realizing that the process takes like like six to 10 years for them to get into a, get into a place where they can get that job security, where alternatively, we see a lot of people with computer science degrees right out of college getting jobs at Twitter making like stupid amount of money as their as a new grad salary like 130 base plus bonuses and all that other stuff so i think it's valuable for parents who realize that you can be making a good uh, like stable salary when you're out of college like it it's no longer just that no longer just going into the medical field or law or finance, there's other paths where you can get there sooner, but the parents haven't uh, caught up, I guess, to the trends of the future. So anything particular that you think parents should pay attention to or should read or should check out?
2: Well, look, I again, I think what we need to be careful of is people have different lenses, Mm -hmm. they have different desires, they have different skills, they have different goals in terms of Mission driven companies, non mission driven companies. You mentioned Mission You. Chegg is a very much a mission driven company. Twitter is a mission driven mm-hmm. company, but so is being a doctor, and so mm-hmm. could be being a lawyer, and so yeah. could be being a social worker in your community. Yeah. So for everybody, they need to evaluate what will bring them the greatest joy if they're mm-hmm. successful in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what does it take to be successful in it? You can't, you will never become successful. If you don't focus and put in the time. Yeah. And so the message to parents would be that the world of opportunity has evolved dramatically since when we were first picking our professions. Mm-hmm. And so now you can open your eyes and, and help your child understand that there are many ways to contribute to society, to earn a living. And there are jobs that used to pay high that maybe don't pay as high as they used to because of whatever reason, those industries evolved. And so if you take a look at lawyers, 20 years ago, 50% of kids got into law school. Today, 90% of kids get in. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because half as many people are going to law school, (laughs) right? So (laughs) it's what I would say to parents is the same thing that my kids tell me I'm supposed to say to them, which is it's their life. Let them make their own mistakes. Let them find their own path. But if they're going down the path of understanding the impact of technology and what it can do for the good and how they can contribute. That those are very high-paying jobs that can last a long time, and they Mm. shouldn't—they should be considered as as important as the other jobs that they that you might have been considering for them. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I think that's a great answer. And given that you know, Che kind of like had this philosophy early on, or like this issue growing up, where you know, in order to get a job, you need experience, and in order to get experience, you needed a job. And a lot of people that are coming out of college. People
2: know that's where the name Chegg came from, which is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? College is really expensive. Mm -hmm. So in order to afford college, I need a job. But in order to get a job, I need a college degree, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And that's the name Chegg. And a lot of these people are
0: graduating from college, from alternative forms of education. They're trying to figure out, again, how to navigate. Mm -hmm. And even before the job, now companies are thinking about apprenticeships and internships How do you think about apprenticeships and internships? Do you think that more companies are going to start creating them? Do they have to create them just because there's a lot of job openings? Well, look,
2: here's what we do know. The statistics show that you're substantially more likely to get a paying job almost immediately upon graduation if you've had a paid internship. Mm -hmm. So it's to your advantage to have one. You don't have to have one every year Mm -hmm. and it doesn't even have to be one at the kind of company you're going to end up working at. Mm-hmm. But what an internship can do for a young person is help them evaluate company size, company culture, job responsibility, how am I supposed to dress? What time do I come in? Mm-hmm. How do I talk to people? How do I work as a team? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what what is how do I use email and Slack and all of these other things yeah. as opposed to, you know, living your world through emojis? Yeah, yeah. Although all of our interns have taught us how to put emojis into our <laughs> communication. So, so we both learn from each other, but we take 34 interns a year here uh-huh. because we understand the importance of it to the young person and the company benefits because you get new thinking and new energy and creativity and you learn what your future customer base might look like. So I think every company should offer to them and I think every company should pay yeah. to offer them, assuming they can afford to pay. Not every startup that you talk to mm-hmm. can take yeah. in, but the, the experience is invaluable for practical reasons and, and mm-hmm. soft reasons. Yeah. And I also think that apprenticeships are really valuable. So if you look at today, if you look at manufacturing, yeah. recently invested in a company called Cluster Inc, which is working on modern day manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most young people never think about that. Mm-hmm. And so apprenticeships have a lot to do here because there's apparently something like 250,000 manufacturing companies in the US. Wow. There's 12 million jobs. There's been a million new ones created in the last year mm-hmm. and a half or so. 750,000 of them go unpaid, and they're actually for for high-paying, technology-driven manufacturing as opposed to only working on the manufacturing floor, which historically was what it was for. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you look at where things are going, you can apprentice at some of these companies and never having imagined it before. Yeah. And so from my standpoint, any opportunity you get to find yourself in a job environment, take it. Yeah. And you can learn what you don't like as much as you can learn what you like. But most people end up being successful finding a culture and an environment that gets the best out of them. So there's no, you know, there's lots of people call dream jobs, but jobs are jobs. They're hard. Yeah. And they're not always fun every day. So the way you fight through that pain is to be in an environment in which the people you're working around and the mission you're on are worth fighting for.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a great segue into like, you know, how you got your first job. Because I remember we kind of face this conundrum where, you know, I was, you know, investment banker working with Arch and Timor. We knew tech was taking over everything. We knew we wanted to start something in the future and we had to have a diversity of skill set. So they decided to be software engineers. I realized that wasn't for me. So I learned, I decided to do sales and I think you decided to do the same thing. So can you tell people how you, you know, started in your first job?
2: Yeah, so the first job, look, coming out of a liberal arts college in 1983, Unless you were, you know, unless you knew the profession, if you're going to real estate or finance or you know, going to Wall Street, one of those things, or consulting firms, I was clueless. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I needed to be self sufficient, and the best way for me to be self sufficient was to depend on my own abilities, which meant sales. Mm-hmm. So I went looking for sales jobs, and then, unfortunately, at the same time I was graduating, my mother was getting divorced, and so I was knew that you know, that I was going to be more out on my own than I originally planned. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was fine. It just was unexpected at the time. So I took a job that paid more and the job that paid the most was $18,000 a year wow. going to work for a great company called Pitney Bowes Dictaphone, who was selling this new technology, speaking about technology back <laughs> in 83 <'83, laughs> called word processing. Okay, And you're all too young. that are listening to this to know that word processing used to be a machine, not a software package. <laughs> and You would go into these companies if you were selling them, and you'd literally go elevator to elevator, door to door, office to office to convince them that they needed word processing. (laughs) So I was very excited. I was told my first day that I got the highest score on the exam that they'd given people, and I was ready to go. And I thought I was going to make money. And then they said, uh, "Sit down, have bagels, meet everybody, enjoy yourself." Two hours. We have a company wide meeting. And I went up to the company-wide meeting, and they announced that Pitney Bowes Dictaphone was going out of the word processing business. <laughs> and that I and 998 of my other fellow employees were wow. being laid off. wow, wow. But it shows how serendipity things are, because mm-hmm. the company that I didn't take, that I actually wanted to work for, but it paid less at the time, and I thought mm-hmm. I needed more money, so it's a good lesson for me, mm-hmm. was a company called Ziff Davis mm-hmm. Publishing Company, founded by I think one of the greatest publishers of all time, Bill Ziff. Mm -hmm. And they really helped create the whole concept of special interest publishing, like your podcast is special interest publishing. But they were flying, boating, running, skier, Mm -hmm. skiing, road and track, you know, all these kinds of things. Psychology Today, Stereo Review, for any of you who Mm -hmm. know what a stereo is. They didn't name them Alexa at the time, but stereos (laughs) used to play music. So I had interviewed there and gotten a job in ad sales. Mm -hmm. And I was going to be classified ad sales to all these really cool magazines at the time that all my friends knew. And yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. And I went in two weeks later, I called them up the day I got let go. And they said, absolutely want you. We were disappointed when you didn't say yes. Come on in. When can you start? And I said, mm-hmm. well, very busy guy. I could start in two <laughs> weeks because I took my severance pay and I went to trip to Europe. Yeah. Uh, smart, um, smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went to Europe and came back and I couldn't wait to start my new job in classified advertising for all these amazing consumer magazines. And I walk in the door and I'm I'm told, I asked for the people that interviewed me and they said, well, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is none of those people work on these magazines anymore. The good news is they all still work at the company and they're in a new division called the creative computing magazine division. And so you need to go find them. So I walk in and all the people that had hired me to do classified advertising were now in the circulation department of a new division for computer magazines. Wow. Uh, So instead of selling advertising, I was literally, my first job was taking the yellow pages and looking up and finding small mom and pop computer retail stores, this is Mm -hmm. before there was any of the Mm superstores, and convincing them to carry 10 magazines for resale and and that they could make 35 bucks a week if they did. Wow. (laughs) So that's what my college education went for. Yeah. But the lesson for me again was things are never Mm -hmm. what you expect them to be you have to be able to adapt to the situation. You have to have a good attitude and you have to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so it started that way, but it turned out to be the most fortunate thing that's ever happened to me in my life professionally because computers became big. Yep. I continued to work my way up through the company. And 15 years later, I went from the telemarketer to the CEO of the internet division mm-hmm. wow. when no one even knew there was an internet until the 1990s. Yeah, Right? Yeah. So- yeah. So the world keeps evolving. You got to stay in the game. You got to stay focused. You got to keep performing. You have, a good, have to have a good attitude. And if you think you can structure your life and your choices, it's the old famous Mike Tyson quote, which is, we all have a plan until we get punched in the face. And, yep, yep. and I got punched in the face two times in two weeks, and it's turned out pretty darn great for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you also grew up in in New York. So can you kind of talk about like how that affected just like, kind of like your mindset and your upbringing. I know you talked a little bit about your family, but how did that shape, you know, what you were doing?
2: Well, family shapes you all the time, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn the value set from your family. And what I'd always learned was education mattered. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a public school teacher. And so were uh, many of my aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. My father had left when I was a young age. So I also learned the dependence of the greater family, grandfathers and grandmothers in particular. Mm-hmm. But I also learned that there's a lot of things I'm going to have to do on my own. Yeah, mm-hmm. New York, which you know I live both in New York and in California, New York is like no other place on the planet. And mm-hmm. I think it prepares you to compete and to challenge yourself and to grow. And Silicon Valley allows you to think outside the box and outside the norm. Mm-hmm. So growing up in New York, it was always, if I took a job, how do I do it 10% better? And mm-hmm. how do I stay at a company and work my way up the whole time? And you have to go through this, this mm-hmm. uh, structure. Yeah. Whereas in Silicon Valley, when I met people like Jerry Yang and David mm-hmm. Filo, the founders of Yahoo and Jeff Mallet, mm-hmm. and they didn't ask, how did the person do the job before me? They said, what needs to be done and what's the most efficient way mm-hmm. to do it? Yeah. And I was like, huh, it's a completely different <laughs> way of thinking. So the balance between the competitiveness and the challenge and the speed and the diversity of New York combined with the creative and new way of thinking and the importance of technology of Silicon Valley and really the importance of turning young people loose. Yeah. Which Silicon Valley is very famous for. Putting those two things together, I think, is a is a much more complete picture and has allowed me to stay relevant even at fifty seven years old. Yeah, Damn. for
1: sure. And how do you see so you've brought up technology and how it's changing industries, but specifically in education, which is the industry you guys are in and You've mentioned that you guys are putting customers first, where traditionally in the education system, it was the schools or the publishers. So how do you see technology changing the way students are prioritized by companies and the system? And where do you see that going in the next five years?
2: Fantastic question. And, and the truth is when we said student first, which was almost mm-hmm. eight and a half years ago, mm-hmm. which I put on the bottom of an email sort of randomly, mm-hmm. because once we started doing textbook rental and once students started to write in and say... If not for Chegg, I never would've gotten textbooks. If not for Chegg, mm-hmm. I, couldn't have take, I couldn't have taken two courses, I'm only mm-hmm. taking one, yeah. So we have so many community college kids. I realized that our job is to put the student first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Chegg had an IPO almost five years ago, four and a half years ago, that didn't go particularly well. We, did, we priced at 1250, first trade was 1125, first day closed at 968. So you wanna talk about humbling? I could talk about humbling all day long. <laughs> yeah. And doing that on CNBC in front of my daughters and my wife is not my finest um, <laughs> proud moment. But the stock dropping all the way to $3.15, people didn't think that they needed to change. Mm-hmm. Now that the stock is over 30 mm-hmm. and that, that Chegg reaches you know, nearly half of every college student and 25% of them, we believe by the end of this year, will be a paying customer. Mm-hmm. And that they use our learning services on average once a week and they're Mm -hmm. consuming over 200 pages a semester, Mm -hmm. people are beginning to wake up to the fact Mm -hmm. that the system is not designed to serve the modern day Mm -hmm. student. And the modern day student is actually 25, not Mm -hmm. 18 to 22. 25% of students actually have a child already. Mm -hmm. They're working. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's four year or two year, and fewer and fewer are going to residential colleges because of the time and the money. Even if you went to a community college, it's an hour commute there, an hour commute back, 50 minutes or an hour for the class, that's three hours out of your day to learn one thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think the impact of of Chegg's success on the industry has been to show that if you make the content and the information Mm -hmm. available, affordable, personalizable, and adjustable to the way the student actually wants to learn with multiple modalities, Mm -hmm. video, Text, human help. Mm-hmm. We don't choose for you. We don't assume one is better for you. Mm-hmm. We assume that you may need all the different kinds depending on what you're studying. Yep. And the fact is, the majority of our studying happens after nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, from our standpoint, we think that technology should have already had a much greater impact mm-hmm. yeah. because it's difficult to do anything at scale in mm-hmm. an individual school. Mm-hmm. But technology allows you to do so, it allows you to make content available. All hours, not just the schedule hours. Yeah, It gives you the ability. We do online tutoring. We have hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of tutoring sessions for as little as 50 cents a minute. Yeah. Most of those things are at midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because people work, they have lives, they have families. And so I think the impact is schools are going to need to adjust to utilizing technology to the advantage of their student mm-hmm. base. And when they do, their student base will expand. They'll learn more. They'll be able to take greater amounts of curriculum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know when you go to a residential college, ninety-five percent of the time at the college is not in a classroom. Yeah, there seems to be a lot more learning that people can do. Yeah. And, and our view is like Netflix: if you can binge watch my favorite show,
3: yeah, mm-hmm.
2: then I ought to be able to binge learn my education. Facts. There's no reason for four years or two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, if yeah. I'm willing to put in the time and the effort and the energy, and I can master the concept, why can't I go be LeBron of the workplace and mm-hmm. just yeah. go right from right to the yeah. job?
0: Exactly. No, you're preaching right now. And I love how you just went from three to 30. That's 10x. You're going in. Uh, we talked a
2: lot about I, team. I did sneak that in there. I, I like that. That was <laughs> yeah, good. because today we closed at an all-time high. And, <laughs> that's good. And and, <laughs> you know, and and I, there are a few people I would like to just let know. You got to. You got to you do that <laughs> sometimes. A lot of haters. Yeah. And um, I think it's also important to highlight team. We talked about
0: team. You know, Got Mark in the room. We got other people in the room. How did you go about choosing your team? How did you build your team? What do you look for when you hire people?
2: You know, it's, first of all, I'm very fortunate because at the level that I'm at, anybody that I get to interview has already had success and already has skills. So what do we look for? We look for chemistry. We look for attitude. We look for people who believe that success is a result of what we collectively do, not what an individual does. So I have been so fortunate that my team has fundamentally stayed together for the entire eight years that I've been out here. Wow. So I've had people work with me over three jobs in more than 10 years. And I've had my banker who was a junior banker when I took the job, then went back to business school, took us public and then joined us. Nice, Right. So, so my management team has been here almost as long or in some cases a little bit longer than I've been here and we've stayed together. And what we learn is nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be great at everything. But if we believe in each other, if we trust each other, if we communicate with each other and we let the people that are supposed to do what they're supposed to do, the way they're capable of doing it, not the way I'd like to see them do it. yeah, Because the way my lens is very different than the people that work for me lens. Mm-hmm. So if you if you have that level of communication and that level of dialogue and that level of trust, mm-hmm. and they believe that we're going to work to get the best out of them, and they're trying every day to get the best out of this company, it tends to work. And yeah. so everybody that wins rarely wins based on themselves, even in individual sports, Mm -hmm. you always hear, whether it's a gymnast or whether it's a tennis player or whether it's a race car driver, you always hear them thank their team yeah, because somebody coached them, somebody practiced with them, somebody taught them something, somebody read them the riot act when they needed to have it read to them. Yeah, Every one of us succeeds as a result of a lot of people who play a critical role through many parts of our lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can you highlight some of the roles that play a uh, integral part in making the product happen? So a lot of the users, they might be using Instagram or they might be on your website today, and they might think it's just the founder and 10 other people building it, but we know that there's thousands if not there's hundreds of people and people in each role making products happen. So can you just highlight the different roles that come together to provide the experience that you provide?
2: So it's very interesting. that It's a a terrific question. And and I have a good friend who was chairman of Bain, and then he stepped down from that to become the president of eBay, and then eventually became the CEO of eBay and PayPal, and he retired. And now he's the CEO of another company again, because he's he's just phenomenal at it. But what he says about technology companies that are really interesting is that to the consumer, everything you do needs to be invisible. Mm -hmm. They don't want to know how many groups or teams work together. Mm-hmm. So the front end looks to lo- needs to look seamless and the back end needs to be seamless, financial reporting and data mm-hmm. and infrastructure mm-hmm. and privacy and protection and all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's that messy middle where things could go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we always say if our student believes we have more than one line of business, we're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. So any particular product or service, anything that we do is going to have to have People in strategy, people in HR, people in product, people in engineering, people in marketing, people in research, people in communications, people on the back-end infrastructure, yeah. people in security and data security and financial systems and financial payments, and then the people in the legal department. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can go through QA. Yeah customer service. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every one of these people mm-hmm. has to be working towards the same end goal. And so what we learn in in modern day business, it's it's about being transparent, having a mission, having a north star that people can focus on. Because if if we if everybody believes we put the student first, mm-hmm. then a lot of the normal discussions and politics that go on in companies get reduced. Because the question simply becomes, "How's this good for the student?" Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah. I think that's, so a that's great, been very great helpful answer. for us as a yeah. tool.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's amazing breakdown, especially because of your location. You all are here in South Bay. San Jose is down the street. I saw people that are in here that I don't think are employees here. I think you guys do tours here sometimes. Or do you? Are there? How do you think about like a lot of the roles you mentioned? People do that aren't in quote unquote
2: tech. Like, look, we <laughs> we do a lot of things because we feel like it's our responsibility to learn from, listen to, and then build for young people. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of tours of young people. We have a lot of, we have research and panels. We have 16,000 students that are impaneled wow. that that uh, help us can know everything from what they think fake news is to what products or services they use to what do they think of our product mm-hmm. or service. Yeah, We also have you know uh, focus groups that come in here, mm-hmm. and we also have lots of kids from the Boys and Girls Club or from different diversity groups. Mm-hmm from San Jose or from San Francisco or from any of the local areas, whether they be people of color or Hispanics or kids who are going to be the first in their family to go to college. Mm-hmm. We welcome all of them, both as employees and as people who can give us feedback because we're serving them. So we're very fortunate mm-hmm. to be able to have so much access to different people. But we also teach them that every job is not an engineering job. Mm-hmm. And when you walk around here, mm-hmm. you know, we have everything ranging from facilities. You're looking mm-hmm. at one of the most beautiful facilities. That's our facilities people, we have HR people, we have communications people, we have marketing people, we have finance people, we have legal people, we have QA people, we have research people. Oh, and we also have tons and tons of the most fabulous engineers. We also have 32 day scientists, (laughs) right? So there is an opportunity for people to work at, every modern day company is gonna be somehow impacted by, hurt by, fueled by, or succeed as a result of what's going on in technology. You just need to be aware of it, and young kids, They grew up with it. Everything they do is on the phone. Everything they do is an app. It's not as intimidating to them as it is to their parents.
1: Yeah. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where Arthur and Ruben will ask you questions that are are geared for our listeners so they can take your advice and they can implement the strategist tactics to get to where you are today. So, Arthur take it away. So yeah. These are
2: quick questions, quick, quick answers. Quick questions, yeah.
1: very strategic and tactical. All right. I got so, my hand on the buzzer. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. So, this question takes us back to the basics. So, imagine you just moved to a brand new city, you don't know anyone, and you are you only have $100, and you're trying to get back on your feet and break into tech. What would you do, and how would you spend that $100?
2: Well, I would try my best not to spend the $100. Okay. I would try to find a friend that I could live with, mm-hmm. I would find a, try to find a company that Uh, Gives you free food, which Mm -hmm. you can't do in Mountain View now, (laughs) but you can do in in every other place. And what I would say is this, look, when you're young, you could take the most amount of risk, Mm -hmm. but you also cannot afford to risk to be homeless or foodless, which Mm -hmm. is a very big problem in in San Francisco. So I would say the first thing you do is you don't move here unless you have some place to crash for a while. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is you go find yourself into almost any job at any company Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Until you learn what it is you think you want to do yep. and get some skills and get some experience. Don't try to think you're going to know the right answer to the single most important question you're ever going to be asked yep. <laughs> uh, in day one of a new city. Yeah, You know, there are 4,000 new startups a year in this town. So, yeah. so don't feel like any choice you make is also the last choice you're going to make. Yeah. Yep.
0: You got another game that you're playing. Uh, we talked a little bit about mindset earlier, uh, meditation, things like that. What's your, what's Dan's daily routine? Well, it's
2: evolving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, believe it or not, you need to get a lot of sleep. Yeah. At any age. Mm-hmm. Two, I exercise a lot, mm-hmm. and in my case, I go running a lot because it helps clear my head and just make me feel better. Three, I try to eat increasingly better, and as you get older, that becomes more important. Four, I quit drinking four years ago. Yeah. Because. I've never met anybody who said at the end of their life, they wish they had drank more or taken more drugs. (laughs) So that was a pretty good sign that, you know, as I got older, it wasn't, it wasn't the smartest thing to do. So my routine is I get up, I meditate, Mm -hmm. which is new. I've just started that. Nice. And I assume that the day is going to go well until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. I make sure that I I've already known what it is I'm supposed to do that day. I'm already prepared for those things, mm-hmm. and I come in with a great attitude and with an expectation. I greet everybody here because I feel safest and most productive and happiest when I walk in these doors. Yeah, because the people you guys have walked around, you, yeah. you must have That's felt the great energy the yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. That's also because we give a lot of free caffeine. Um, <laughs> and then I go about recognizing that not every day is going to go as planned. Not every problem is going to be understood or solvable in that minute. And that the one thing you don't want to do is create drama Mm -hmm. where drama isn't necessary. Yeah, no drama. I like
1: that. Yeah. So this question, it's about, um, I guess, your biggest strengths. You mentioned that when you first got uh, the first job that you ever had was calling on mom and pop businesses, selling Mm -hmm. magazines. And then in 15 years, you rose to become the CEO of that company. What skill do you think contributed to that success?
2: So normally in a podcast where they don't see you, I say, my skill is my extraordinary good looks. (laughs) But since you're also videoing
1: this, I can't say that. People will know that
2: pretty quickly. But if I could encourage anybody, and I do with my daughters, and sometimes it drives them crazy because that's what parents do, Mm -hmm. is, you know, their mom has taught them to be, to care about a mission, to have great values, to care about others, to succeed working with other people and to recognize and to be available to other points of view, to be willing to, to hear other points of view, but also never devalue themselves, right? They belong where they are and they should act like they belong mm-hmm. where they are. For me, the one thing that I've taught them on top of that is you will never go hungry mm-hmm. and you will never be unemployable if you can sell. Cool. Mm-hmm. And selling is about listening. It's about understanding. It's about empathizing. It's about having compassion. And it's about being able to communicate not the way you want to communicate, but the way the other person can hear what it is you're trying mm-hmm. to communicate. And so I spent a lot of time as they were growing up, we worked on presentations and speaking in public and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that was my price for having to go to every soccer tournament in every small town in state to of California <laughs> was like, all right, if we're going to do this and get all the, we can listen to all the Taylor Swift you want, but we're going to pitch something. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so to me, it's about sales because if you can sell then you have the ability to help people make a better decision that they should make that they otherwise wouldn't have known that they should make. And that's yeah. got to be a good thing. Yeah. 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 No,
0: that's amazing. And just wrapping up, you know what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? What are any final words you want to share with everybody? And, and then we'll close out.
2: Well, first of all, I want to thank you all. It's a real honor to meet you guys and to have the opportunity sure. to participate. And obviously most of your listeners either use or have heard of Chegg or know mm-hmm. somebody that uses Chegg. And so I have great gratitude mm-hmm. and appreciation for all of them. And the only thing I would say closing out is it's, it's your life. The mm-hmm. sooner you stop blaming other people and the sooner you own your own choices, even the bad ones, because yeah. you're going to make them. Yep. There's a hundred percent chance mm-hmm. that you're going to make decisions, even decisions, you know, you shouldn't have made. Yeah. You're going to make them. Yeah, And it's about how do you recover from that? Mm-hmm. How do you come up? How do you liberate yourself from making that one again, mm-hmm. and how do you find a way to make fewer of them? But how do you come back with a good attitude and said every day is another opportunity mm-hmm. to move on the path that I want to be on? Mm-hmm. And so that would be you know that's what I learned. That's what I learned from my mentors, where I've had my greatest amount of failures, the greatest amount of achievements have come out of them. Awesome. And so the other thing I would say is what what Ashton Kutcher always says, which mm-hmm. is you got to have grit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to have grit. You have to be here. Chegg was considered a failure for most of its first seven years Dang. and eight and a half years later, we're a three and a half billion dollar market company and considered a leader in our space because we never lost mm-hmm. sight of our vision mm-hmm. and our mission. And the team didn't quit on the student, on each other, on me. I didn't quit on them and we stuck it out. Mm-hmm. So grit and determination matters.
0: Stay focused. Yeah. And so chegg.com, C-H-E-G-G.com right. and Twitter- Do you want people to tweet at you? No, No. they will,
2: and they do. (laughs) But you can find me under Dan Rosenswag on Twitter. Um, That's an open account. Uh, Don't look for me on Instagram or Facebook. That is closed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, let's let's break break in. in.
1: Let's break in. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.